We're back in 2 Corinthians. Uh, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, also here's what we do. Every Sunday morning, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the New Testament. We're studying what the Bible has to say, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the entire New Testament. So we're up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. Turn in your Bible, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul's going to address the issue of how not to lose heart. How not to lose heart. How not to lose heart in your Christianity? How not to lose heart in what God's called you to do? How not to lose heart in what God's called you to be as a follower of Jesus Christ? How not to lose heart? It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to get discouraged. But one of the, one of the greatest examples, I think, in the history of mankind of someone who didn't lose heart is the one that penned the words to this chapter, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, we're gonna learn in a few weeks in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just in the stuff he went through through his missionary journeys, he could have quit. He went through, according to 2 Corinthians 11, he went through shipwrecks. He went through so many beatings serving the Lord on those three missionary journeys that he, as he said, beatings without count. In other words, he couldn't keep count of all the times he got beat up in his serving the Lord in his missionary journeys. Shipwrecks. Shipwrecks to the point that he spent a whole day and a night in the deep, probably grabbing onto a plank just to stay alive. You know, like uh, sh- legitimate shipwrecks out in the Mediterranean. He went through beaten with rods in the city of Philippi to the point that his back was bloody and then he was put in stocks. And ultimately he went through a two-year imprisonment before facing Nero, then he was set free, and then after that he had his head chopped off, according to church history, by Nero. It would have been easy for Paul to lose heart, but he never did. Great example of someone who persevered even in the midst of great affliction. A great example of someone who could say at the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the course, kept the faith. In the future, there's later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. He lived that. He never lost heart. He lived what he taught the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He was a living example when he said, hey, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toe in the Lord is what? It's not in vain. And I'm sure when he crossed that line into eternity too, he received those words from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. And that's my goal. I'm hoping that's your goal too. So I just keep faithfully serving the Lord through the months, the years, the decades ahead so they could be steadfast and movable. And when I get to the other side, I can hear those words from my master. Well done, Hoppy. Enter now in the joy of your master. You didn't quit, you didn't give up, you fought the good fight, you finished the course, you kept the faith. But we gotta apply some of these principles we're gonna learn this morning if we're gonna do that. We gotta live out what we're learning here as Paul shows us in this chapter how not to lose heart. You ready, church, to study it? All right, let's get into it then. Second Corinthians chapter four. And we'll see six principles this morning. How not to lose heart. How not to give up. How not to give in. But keep going for the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. There we are. Okay. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose what? There it is right there. Don't lose heart. Now, first reason Paul says we don't lose heart. Very first reason is because we receive mercy. Paul was struck by the mercy and the grace of God. You remember when it happened, right? And, and by the way, Paul needed mercy. He was a Christian killer. 
He was a part of the Sanhedrin, and when the very first uh, martyr of the New Testament church was, was killed, they put the robes of Stephen at Paul's feet, and he gave hearty approval to the killing of Stephen. And then we're also told that Paul was so bent on killing Christians and imprisoning Christians, he went to a foreign city from Jerusalem, he went to Damascus, and he's stopping on his way to Damascus, he's stopping and it said murderous threats on the way to get these other Christians. But then something happened. Remember Acts chapter 9? All of a sudden a light brighter than the noonday sun shone around him, and a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul hit the ground and said, Lord, who art thou? Who are you? I'm the Lord Jesus, the one that you've been persecuting. And Paul at that point, he wasn't given judgment, he wasn't given condemnation by Jesus. You know what he's given? Mercy, grace, and even a calling. He was told at that point by Ananias, who would later minister him, you're going to go to kings, you're going to go to the Gentiles, and you're going to go to even your own people with the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul was propelled from that day forward, I believe, by the mercy and grace of God that God showed him on that road to Damascus. Instead of annihilating him, he said, I'm going to give you mercy, I'm going to even give you a calling. Paul said, all right, let's go. For the rest of his life, all he could do was serve the Lord Jesus Christ wholeheartedly because he had received mercy. And one of the things that should primarily propel us to keep serving the Lord and keep living for the Lord is because of the mercy that was shown you and shown me. We need to remember where we came from. We, were, we need to remember what the Lord rescued us from. I got saved 40 years ago, 1978, and I, have, I, I still remember the mess I was when I came to Christ. I still remember the direction I was going before the Lord just reached down from heaven and grabbed me and rescued me. My dad was an alcoholic for 35 years, and I was on the same path. I was already busy from seventh grade on doing stuff. Man, I was going right down the same direction of destruction and addiction and on the way, fast. And the Lord rescued me. 17 years old, it changed my life. And I know where I'd be today if it wasn't for the Lord's mercy. I'd be a mess. And don't look at me like that, because you would be too. We're all in great debt to the mercy and grace of God for our lives. And that mercy, that grace, should propel us to stay on serving the Lord and living for the Lord and be wholehearted and not losing heart. Mercy. First thing that'll help us, remember the mercy. It'll help us not lose heart. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, we've received mercy, and because of that, we don't lose heart. Verse two, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame and walking in craftiness or adultery in the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Well, not only do we receive mercy, but our response to mercy is now we're renouncing the things of darkness, the things of shame. We're not living in the darkness anymore. We're getting rid of that stuff. We're not adulterating the Word of God. And what adulterating means, we're not cheating the Word of God. We're not trying to twist the Word of God to say something for our own benefit for ulterior motives. We're just giving the simple truth to everybody we can. We're not living in shame anymore. We're renouncing that. Interesting, too, he says, we have the manifestation of truth 
And we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. In other words, we're living with a good conscience too. Here's another thing that needs to be in place if we're not going to lose heart, if we're not going to quit, if we're not going to get discouraged. We need to have integrity in our lives where we're living what we say we believe. We need to be people of integrity that are renouncing the stuff of our past, not staying in it. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are gone. The new things have come. We have a new life in Jesus. And we need to live in that new life if we're going to stay on track and not lose heart. Because you start compromising, you start becoming a lukewarm Christian. And we got a problem here in the South. The problem we have here in the South is what I would call cultural Christianity. Everybody goes to church. Everybody, yeah, I go to that church, I go to this church, I go to that. everybody goes to church. But there's a lot of people going to church. They go to church on Sunday, and they're living for the world the rest of the week. And that'll cause you to lose heart. They're not renouncing the things of shame, and getting rid of the old stuff, and living the new. And I tell you, if you're a half-hearted Christian, you're not going to last long. And that's why Jesus said, hey, I want you to be either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's a kind translation, by the way. Literally translate, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. If you're not wholehearted, on fire, hot for me. So be the real deal. Have integrity. Renounce those things of the past. Live in the present in a new life of Christ. Because otherwise, that half-heartedness can lead to no heart for Christ. And I tell you, the most miserable place to be is a half-hearted Christian. We have one, one, one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. You got too much of the world to enjoy Jesus. You got too much of Jesus to enjoy the world. You're just miserable. How do I know that? I've been there. I've been backslidden as a Christian. It's miserable. And you got this Holy Spirit convicting you regards to your sin, righteousness, judgment to come. And you go, oh, like this. Might as well just cross the line. Let's be all in on this thing, right? I tell you what, Facebook is a blessing and Facebook is a curse. And what do I mean by that? I mean, it's a ble- Facebook's a blessing in how it networks you, it keeps you in t- touch with people from your past, and it helps you stay connected and stuff like that. Facebook's a blessing in that way, but I've learned it's also a curse because it keeps you in connection with people from your past. <laughs> it's a blessing and it can be a curse, right? And I was on Facebook the other day, and one of the guys that, one of my best friends from Wisconsin, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ and praying the sinner's prayer with him. I remember praying with him. Came to Christ. But he never was all in. And he wanted to come to church, our church, and he did. On the weekends, he came to our church, and he was excited, enthusiastic about church on Sunday. But the rest of the week, man, he was a deer hunter. He's one of those guys that had the camouflage hat with the hook in the hat. And he wasn't going to stop drinking and partying with his dear hunting friends. He wasn't going to stop his lifestyle. He was going to come to our church on Sunday and then still be worldly the rest of the week. And what I've seen now is that half-heartedness has gone to no heart. And I, I look at his Facebook and I cringe because of the lifestyle he's gone. He's gone totally back to the world. He's given up. He's lost heart. He's gone, gone through a divorce. His wife was one of Heidi's best friends too. The family's divorced. He's on his way to probably alcoholism if he's not there. And it breaks my heart because he's lost heart. But one of the reasons why he's lost heart, his whole heart wasn't in the first place. What does Matthew 6.33 tell us? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he'll add all things unto us, right? Let's be wholehearted Christians. Amen? Let's be all in on this thing, man. Let's renounce, as Paul said, the things of our past. 
and live in the present in a new life in Christ. Now it says in verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing and whose God, in case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's the image of God. Here's what Paul's saying here now. Interesting. He's saying the God of this world, by the way, who is the God of this world? Is it our God? No, the God of this world is Satan. Other parallel passages say he's the prince of the power of the air. And one of the things that Satan has done with the unbelieving world out there, he's blinded their minds. He's veiled their hearts. And that's why when you share with your unbelieving family members or friends or people at work, and sometimes you're sharing spiritual things and they just look at you like you're nuts. They got that glazed over look and say, what in the world are you talking about? Are you crazy or something? And it's because their, their, their minds are blinded. Their hearts are veiled. But here's the thing. How do we get that veil off of people's hearts? How do we get their eyes opened? How? Right here. Sharing God's word is one way we can do that. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter four, that God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, go to the joints and marrow of people's souls, and even judge the thoughts and the intentions of their heart. Peter said that you're born again by the living, enduring word of God. And so one of the things you could do is you get discouraged about someone who's an unbeliever and they're just giving you a hard time about it, just share God's word with them. Share some resources with them. Get, get a track or a book that you think will speak with them. Give it to them. Say, hey, just read this. Check it out. Start sowing seeds into their lives. Share CDs or teaching. Share that with them. And I tell you what, with my dad, who again was, was in alcoholism for 35 years, he had a desk, a whole drawer in his desk of all the stuff I sent him through the years. And by the end of the life, his life, I believe there was a U-turn for Christ. And I think there was a repentance, even though it took years. Share the word of God with people. It'll take the blinders off. Another thing, pray. The only way that the minds that are blinded by the godless world are going to be opened is if you fervently pray for them. The Bible says, James 5.16, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. They accomplish much. Another version, they availeth much. Think about it. Before you came to Christ, I bet you many of you could say you knew of someone that was praying for you. It opened your eyes, didn't it? I think of me. There was a number of people in the high school I was involved with that were fervently praying that I'd get the blinders off and come to Christ. Prayers work. And so here's another thing. You don't want to get discouraged and lose heart with people that are in your sphere of influence that are lost or blinded and they're unbelieving. Then, then, then share God's word with them and pray for them. Pray specifically that the blinders would come off and the mind would be open, the veil would come off their hearts. And don't get discouraged either when you share with somebody about your faith and about spiritual truths and they just look at you like you're nuts. Because it's gonna happen. <laughs> I remember the summer before I went to seminary, my dad got me a job working road construction. My dad was famous for getting me jobs that kept me in school because I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. I remember I was shoveling asphalt and doing jackhammers and one of the, one of the days, the, the foreman who didn't like me too much, he put me on the pole. You know what the pole is? It's the stop slow pole. And I spent, I spent two weeks on the pole. 
And I remember, what the, by the end of those two weeks, I got so sick and tired of just standing there and then, oh, okay, switch it, switch it again. I, I got some scripture memory cards and I put it right in the pole. And I, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least do something while I'm doing this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna memorize scripture. And I got involved with this one scripture. I was so excited about it. I was learning this one scripture on the pole like that. And I realized that I wasn't switching it when I was supposed to and there was like a half a mile of cars waiting. I almost got fired that day. But anyways, there was, <laughs> there was this guy that was, uh, first week I started to work there on the uh, road construction crew, and his name was Vito from Chicago, Italian guy. He was Italian, too. I mean, he had that tattoo right there, and then the, the, you know, the white shirts, like the tank top white shirts that are like underwear, actually, but he wore that as, that was his, his shirt, and he'd come up on his Harley like this, and, and he kind of liked me that first week because I had a motorcycle I rode to work, too, and you know, and so we got to know each other a little bit. We rode motorcycles back and forth to work a little bit. And I remember riding with him. And, and then the first weekend happened, and we came back on Mondays, and we was doing the asphalt, showing the asphalt. I said, Vito, how's your weekend? And Vito said, that was great. And he said, I had a bachelor party this weekend. And they talked to me for about five minutes about all the immoral, immoral drunken, crazy things he did at the bachelor party. And then he said, how's your weekend? So I said, it was great. So what? He goes, I went to this Dr. Dave Friday night Bible study. It was awesome. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And then he said, Bible study? What's that all about? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I've been saved. And I don't do what you did this weekend anymore. I live for Christ. I don't get drunk. I don't get high. I don't do all that immoral stuff you were doing at this bachelor party. So I just don't do that. I'll never forget, he looked me right in the eye and he said this, just bold as can be, he looked me right in the eye, he said, he said, why don't you just kill yourself right now? I kill myself, what? And then I try to share with him about how Jesus gives us abundant life and he just looked at me like I was nuts. But you know, the rest of that summer I prayed for him, I did my best to share God's truth with him and I think I was a witness to him because I saw that this guy's just blinded by the God of this world. And don't get discouraged when you have people in your life that are blinded. That's what Satan does. But we need to pray for them and share God's word with them and keep persevering and don't quit on them because someone didn't quit on you. Amen? The God of this world has blinded people. But let's pray and let's witness to them, lead them out of their darkness. Now it goes on, verse five. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who's shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now here's another thing. Here's what Paul's saying. In the midst of serving Jesus, he said we don't lose heart. And one of the reasons why is because our perspective is that we're just bondservants. We're servants. We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why that helps in not losing heart? Because oftentimes, I think we lose heart when we don't think people are serving us well enough. We lose heart. We'll stop being, see, some people even stop coming to church. Well, they're not meeting my needs there. They're not, they're, they're not being friendly enough to. No one's friendly there. Listen, if you want a friend, why don't you just be a friend? And if, if you feel like your needs aren't being met, why don't you meet someone else's needs? Jesus said, I didn't come to this world to be served, but to, but, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be a servant. 
And I think sometimes we get discouraged, we lose heart, because we don't think people are serving us enough. But what does Paul say? We didn't come to preach ourselves. We didn't come to serve ourselves. We came to preach Jesus and to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be our perspective. And you won't lose heart if you have the right perspective that your mission now as as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to be served, but to serve. And that'll keep you on track not to lose heart. We just had our uh, annual regional Calvary Chapel Leadership Conference in Atlanta this this last week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It was great. Revival for three days. It was awesome. Some great Bible studies, some great teachers, and, and some great worship. But you know what? I was honing in on the last day to one of the last speakers on this conference. It was a guy I've known for probably 15, 20 years now. James Chapman is his name. He's the associate pastor at our regional church, which is our flagship church here in the south, Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. He has been the associate pastor for Sandy Adams, who's our regional pastor. He's been under Sandy's leadership now for 37 years. I told Sandy, I think your associate pastor has a record as far as I can tell. I don't know of any other Calvary Chapel assistant pastor that's been under a senior pastor for 37 years. But James gave one of the last messages of the conference, and it was, it was, it was a powerful message, because this guy was not only teaching us as senior pastors, he had lived it for the last 37 years. And what he, here's what he challenges with as senior pastors. He said, senior pastors, you need to remember, based on some of the teaching you went through on Jesus and the Gospels, he said, senior pastors, you're not the master, you're the servant. And if you want to do your job well as senior pastors, keep that mindset You're not a master over anything. You serve your master, Jesus, and you're to be a servant. A servant to him and a servant to people. And I tell you, the whole room was listening because James Chapman's done that for the last 37 years, being an assistant pastor to one senior pastor for 37 years. That's how he's not lost heart. He has a servant heart, and he does it every day of the week. Wonderful. Be servants. You won't lose heart. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Now here's the analogy. Paul's saying that as human beings, we're all earthen vessels. Another version actually says jars of clay. I like one version actually translates it, we're all a bunch of crack pots. <laughs> we're a bunch of crack pots. That's a literal translation of what he's saying. We're all just a bunch of crackpots. But here's the good news, Paul says. There's a treasure within us, within our earthen vessels. And the treasure is the life of Christ. And he isn't saying life is going to be easy. He says we've been afflicted. We've been persecuted. We've had all these troubles. Jesus said in this world you have troubles. But the thing that keeps us going is even though we're earthen vessels, even though we're crackpots, we have the glory of the life of Christ in us. And listen, sometimes these crackpots shine the best because this treasure of the light of the glory of Christ is shining through our cracks. People are seeing Jesus in the midst of our weaknesses. 
in the midst of our afflictions because Jesus is there. And so that's another thing that we need to realize, that we're going to make mistakes. We're earthen vessels. God knows we're but dust. We're going to fail even at times. We're going to sin at times. We're just earthen vessels. But here's the good news. We got Jesus in us, and that's a treasure. And our job isn't to be perfect as Christians. Our job isn't to have this thing, we're perfect, we never make mistakes. No, no, our job is to cultivate that life of Christ within us so it shines through our cracks. Jesus said, if any man abides in me, I'll abide in him, and he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. But as we abide in him, his life, his treasure, starts shining through our earthen vessels. We can make a difference for the kingdom of God. But don't ever believe the lie that once you come to Christ, it's all gonna be easy. Look at Paul again. Look at what he says back there. Hey, we've been afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also might be manifest. Paul said, this isn't easy, being a Christian in a cursed world. But we got the life of Jesus in us. We have a treasure within us, and that's, that's what we need to remember so we don't get discouraged and lose heart. Jesus is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my heroes is a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in World War II occupied, Nazi-occupied Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't go with the flow of what the rest of the ministers in Germany were doing. The rest of the ministers in Germany, what they were doing was they were just going with Hitler. They didn't want to ruffle any feathers. They just signed on to his whole program. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he got to know what was going on in his own country, through the leadership that he was aware of and knew what was going on, realized Hitler was taking over the country and not only taking over the country, but starting concentration camps and killing by the thousands Jewish people. So you know what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did? He started speaking out against Hitler and Nazi-occupied Germany. It got so bad that he knew his life was at stake, so people actually got him a plane flight to the United States, got him out of Germany because he was about to be killed and he came to Germany to get his PhD and to study more in seminary. While he's studying in seminary, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, what are you doing not being in your own country when your country's in crisis? So what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did is he got, in, he got, he got back, went back to Germany, and he continued to be prophetic in speaking against Hitler. He was put in a concentration camp. And listen to what I read about him this week. It says, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, to be a Christian does not mean to be religious in a particular way, to make something of oneself on the basis of some method or other, but to, but to be a man, not a type of man, but the man that Christ creates in us. It's not the religious act that makes the Christian, but participation in the sufferings of God in the secular life. Eventually, this author said, Bonhoeffer was transferred from Tegel to Buchenwald and then went to the extermination camp at Flossenburg. On April 9th, 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged with six other resistors. A decade later, a camp doctor who was there, who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging, described the scene. Now, this is what I'm talking about, earthen vessel with treasure within. Listen to what it says. The prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them when he was executed. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb. 
kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was mostly deeply moved by the way that this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of his execution, Dietrich Bonhoeffer again said a prayer, then climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I had worked as a doctor, I had hardly ever seen a man so entirely submissive to the will of God. Earthen vessel, the treasure of Christ is shining through him, even in his death. Amazing. Let's close up our scripture now. Verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Now look at these verses here, very important verses. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Paul's saying it. My outer body is, is going out. After the shipwrecks, the beatings, the floggings, <laughs> the, three, the imprisonments, he said, our outer man's decaying. But here's the good news. You live for Christ and you grow in your faith, you can be renewed day by day, and your inner man can be growing and prospering and flourishing spiritually. And that's what Paul's saying. Verse 17, for these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Paul, momentary, light, afflictions? Really? Shipwrecks? Beatings without number? Floggings? Your head cut off? Those are lights? Yeah, compared to the eternal weight of glory that was coming to him because of his service for Christ. Paul, you know what he's saying there? He's saying our focus in life shouldn't, shouldn't be the temporal, it should be the eternal. Our focus in life should not be the physical, it should be the spiritual. And he wanted to not lose hearts, Keep that focus, man. Keep the focus in your life being faith. Because what is faith? Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not yet seen. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For you who comes to God must believe that he is your rewarder of those who seek him. I love what Peter said about this, keeping our faith central, even in trials. He said, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, here's faith, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Ooh, isn't that good? I love it. What's faith? It's having an ability to keep your eyes on someone you don't even see, and his name is Jesus. And even though you don't see him, you love him. Even though you can't touch him physically, 
you believe in him and you have a relationship with him and you keep your eyes off the afflictions and onto your Savior and you keep your eyes off your trials and onto your God because your God's a lot bigger than your trials and nothing is impossible with him. And you know what? As you keep this eternal perspective, it will help you not to lose heart. One of my other heroes, it's a lady. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. What a woman of God. And you need to understand about Johnny. She, she at 16, 17 years old, she was she jumped into a lake and she hit a stone, a boulder, under the water she didn't see. And she's been paralyzed from the neck down. I think it's called quadriplegic. She's been a quadriplegic for 50 years. And she's never lost heart. It's an amazing lady, a woman of God. She's got a worldwide ministry. She speaks to handicapped people all over the world. And she says, my best pulpit is my wheelchair. Because I impart hope to handicapped people who need to not lose heart. And I could tell for 50 years I've walked with the Lord and the Lord's blessed and I haven't lost heart and it's given me a worldwide ministry because I haven't lost heart. Amazing lady of God. She paints paintings on canvases with her mouth with a brush. She has albums of songs that she's just led in worship that blesses people around the world. She's got a worldwide radio ministry that people, millions of people around the world listen to and find hope in. She's a woman that's never lost heart after 50 years of not being able to move from here down. She didn't lose heart. And I read something on her blog this week. I want to just close the message with this. Listen to what she says. Great example of someone who hasn't lost heart. In her blog she said, I sure hope I could bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring the wheelchair and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new perfect glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, Jesus, holding his nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he'll know what I mean because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we've shared in his sufferings. And I will say this to my Lord. I'll say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right <laughs> when you said in this world we'd have trouble. Because that, whole, that thing over there, that wheelchair caused me a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I learned, or the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you could be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin, and all of earth will join in the party. And at that point, Christ will open our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we've ever experienced on earth. And we're, when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away all our tears. And I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do, not have, when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning and the hope that we find in your word, God. We thank you so much, Lord, that your word imparts faith, hope, and love to all of us, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you've called us to be a people that don't lose heart. Help us to apply these principles as we go through life, Lord. Help us to not lose heart because we've received mercy, Lord. 
We know where we came from, Lord, and help us to keep our eye on the prize of serving you in heaven because, because of what you've done for us here on earth and your mercy and your grace and your salvation you've given us through Christ. Lord, help us not to be half-hearted either, Lord. Help us to be wholehearted for you. Help us to renounce those things of shame and live in the present and a new life in Christ, God. Help us, too, to be people, Lord, that keep praying for and sharing God's word with those people that are blinded by the God of this world, Lord. Help us not to get discouraged with those people, but keep praying for them and keep shining light into their lives, Lord. And, Father, I pray, too, that you help us to keep the right focus in life, Lord, that our, this life no longer, if we're Christians, this life isn't about us. It's about Jesus and serving him and serving people, Lord. Give us that servant mentality, Lord. And Father, I pray too that we wouldn't lose heart because of afflictions that come because even in the afflictions, we know that we have a treasure within us and that's, that's Jesus. His life is within us. And Father, I pray too that we, again, keep the focus of not only being a servant, Lord, but keep the focus of the eternal and the spiritual versus the physical and the temporal, Lord. Lord, help us to renounce the things of this world and not live and the lust of our flesh or the lust of our eyes or the boastful pride of life. But we're going to live for you, God. We're going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto us, Lord. Thank you so much, Father, that Christ in us is the hope of glory, God. Help us to keep fighting the good fight, finish the course. Help us to keep the faith, Lord. Help us to live in such a way that one day we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter now into the joy of your master. In the meantime, Lord, we're going to be steadfast. We're going to be immovable. We're always going to be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil in the Lord is not in vain. We're going to keep serving you, Lord. And we pray for this now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's all stand, church, and God bless you.